Welcome to Political as Heck. It's a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. What's up, Todd? Hey, Corey. Hey. All right, let's jump into it. At his monthly news conference this week, Governor Cox took aim at municipalities for not allowing more and faster building to address the housing shortage. He said, quote, there are some cities out there that think, oh, yeah, everyone else, we're, we're unique. We're different. No, you're not. You're not unique and you're not different. You have to find more supply and you have to do it quicker. So he called for higher density saying, quote, that's the only way that our grandkids and grandkids are going to be able to live here. So Todd, I wanted to include this in our weekly roundup because it's a big issue. And on the campaign trail, I have run into many, many, many people. This is on their minds, but not from the same standpoint or perspective as uh, Governor Cox. There's no question we need more housing to meet the needs of our residents in the state. I also worry about how my kids are going to be able to afford a house on their, on their own in, in the future. Past studies have shown that people are moving to Utah from out of state. Yes, California, et cetera. That's true. But the biggest driver of Utah's growth is actually just our growing families. And people are not moving away out of state at the rates that they once did. And so many of the people who are moving here are actually moving back or, actually, or have some sort of family ties. I, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I, I talked to Natalie Gochner about this last month. And I said, if... A guy graduates from Bonneville High School, marries a girl from Woods Cross High School. They moved to California for five years, and then they moved back. You would count them as in-migration. She said, yes, we would. And so what people don't seem to realize is we have a lot of our kids and our grandkids coming home, and we're counting them as California residents. And technically, that's true, but they were Utah residents, you know, longer than California residents. And you're right. It's our family sizes are decreasing. In fact, uh, this year will will be, well, I think this school year or next school year will be the first time in generations when we've had less students in K through 12 than the year before. And, and we know for the next five to 10 to 15 years, those numbers are, are going down. Wow. Yeah. But that's because of family size. Yeah, that's good intel there. So I do want to respond to, to Governor Cox's thoughts here because I think it's important. Yeah. I, I don't dismiss the problem and we recognize it. We do need solutions. But I am personally pretty much against top-down mandates, and I don't think that the blame casting is super helpful. So nearly 60% of Utah's growth is actually happening in northern Utah County, and we're talking about really Lehigh and Saratoga Springs and Eagle Mountain and, and American Fork and so forth. So I think there's a difference between the growth happening in Eagle Mountain versus Sandy and Mill Creek. I really do. And of course, there are differences between the cities. Of course, individual cities have unique circumstances. And I'm glad that Governor Cox mentioned the infrastructure needs that need to be in place, because I think that's where we're falling woefully short. And there is a gulf between where some of the growth is happening versus where the money is being spent. I know that, uh, you know, the big interchange in Lehigh, that was a lot of money and it cost, but we're about six years ago for that. And it, it needs to be part of the conversation. So. So I guess I would say, Todd, I'm not a huge fan of the mandates coming down from the legislature in recent years, and you've been a part of that. So I know it's coming from a good place, but I do think the cities are are, are unique, and there are individual issues. So I wonder what uh, what yeah. you think about all that. Well, remember, I, I was a city council person for four years before I ever served in the legislature, and cities hate it when the legislature usurps their power or gives top-down um, decisions. And I try to be sensitive to that. But, you know, when you're in a state where our economists are telling us, I mean, five years ago, they were telling us there are 60,000 family housing units that cannot find housing in Utah. That came down, I think, 
this year to 30,000. So, you know, we, we, we made a dent. Um, and, and then we have some cities saying, well, if you don't have a two acre, if you don't have two acres, you can't build. Or some cities say, if you don't have five acres, you can't build. Um, you know, that, that was probably fine in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, but it, it is, it isn't okay today. And, um, you know, I will tell you, and I, I, I I'm not going to use any names, but there are some city council members that will tell me and other state legislators, we can't do this because we'll get voted out of office, but we, we recognize this is the right thing to do. If you do it and make us, then we can shake our fist at you and, and still, you know, kind of cover. Well, so, so we all appreciate that. Like at every level of government, the, the elected yeah. officials want to be able to push the blame onto someone else. But I would say local control is better and local accountability is also better. Yeah. No, and, and I agree. And and I will, I think we've had this conversation before and I'll keep it short, but uh, people pretend like states dictating to cities and counties is the exact same as the federal government dictating to states. And I, I, while I recognize there's some similarities, remember states, well, originally colonies, the 13 colonies formed the federal government and they reserved all power, not uh, specifically enumerated to the states. And then the states turned around and formed the cities and counties and told them, this is the power you have. And so I, I'm always reminding people, it's the states that inherently have the power. Cities and counties are subdivisions of the state. The city has given them the power they have. The city, the, I'm sorry, the state has given them the power they have by statute and the state can take it away. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, it should be a dictatorship, but when it comes push to shove, the power lies with the states, not with the cities. The cities did not create the state of Utah. So, yeah, you've made this point before, and I'll make the same point that I've made, which is um, as a matter of law, I totally follow you, and and I'm not going to disagree. But as a matter of good governance, I, I do think that um, governance at the lowest, at the close, closest to the people is best. So, yeah. no, I, I I don't disagree. So one last note is he, um, Governor Cox, he did point out he. Well, he pointed to housing affordability as a leading driver of homelessness. And and I just wanted to mention, I just don't think that's right. On the margins, there may be some correlation, but I mean, I think we know that the homelessness is driven overwhelmingly by drug addiction, by mental illness. So I'm not sure that it's super helpful to talk about these issues in the same conversation. I am happy to see that Governor Cox is cracking down on illicit encampments, especially in Salt Lake City. And he really pushed back hard on those. And so I like that. Um, but I just wanted to make that distinction because I feel like that's where a lot of, I don't know, folks on the progressive side will go with all of this. It, housing affordability is a problem of its own. And I think that, w- that we do need to come up with solutions and it's not that easy. But I don't think, you know, turning to bringing up homelessness, which is only marginally related, um, does a lot of good. Yeah. No, I, you know, homelessness is a complex issue. It involves housing. Housing's you know, some people are of the opinion, if we just stick a homeless person in a in in an apartment, we solve the problem. Well, yeah, we solved the problem for a few hours, maybe a few days. But if they don't have services, if they don't have mental health treatment, which is, I mean, 80 percent of them or so, um, they're, they're going to end up back on the street. And even when we do give housing to some of them, uh, they move out and they say, I, 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 I prefer it on the street. It's a very complicated problem. If it was an easy problem, Salt Lake and every other city would have solved it a long time ago. Yeah. And I know that you've been very involved with that. And so, you know, I applaud you for it. (music) 
This week, the Salt Lake Tribune dropped one of its trademark hit pieces. And just as a quick side note, I do think it's crazy that we put so much stock in articles that are written by kids literally one year out of college, but that's where we are. This particular drive-by journalism was aimed at congressional candidate Celeste Malloy. Apparently, Todd, Cliven Bundy's second wife is Celeste's aunt. And you know what that means. Anything and everything the Bundy family has ever done falls at the feet of Celeste Malloy. We don't even know if Celeste has ever even met the Bundys. Oh, and I should also mention Ammon Bundy himself endorsed her opponent, the Libertarian, in the general election. So wow. this is a complete farce. And But the Trib will remind us early in the article that the Southern Poverty Law Center thinks that the Bundy's views are extreme. Oh, gee whiz. So first of all, I'm, I love this opportunity, and, and then I'm going to give you the chance to. First of all, the Southern Poverty Law Center has listed parent groups such as Parents Defending Education and Moms for Liberty as hate groups, basically because they show up to school board meetings and they don't want boys and girls locker rooms. So the Southern Poverty Law Center has refused also to criticize Hamas after the savage beheadings of children in Israel. In other words, this is a leftist front group concerned with one thing, which is advancing a radical uh, progressive agenda that Americans do not want. And it drives me nuts that these guys are cited ever. They're not authority of anything. But secondly, this is what I'll finally say. Whatever the Bundys may or may not have done has nothing whatsoever to do with Celeste Malloy. And I think it's absolutely shameful that the Salt Lake Tribune is trying to smear her with this guilt by tenuous association. Again, we don't even know if she's ever even met the Bundys. Her you know, her, her aunt's second husband. I don't know. It's drive-by journalism. What do you think, Todd? Oh, I, I agree. I think it's, it's interesting. I mean, almost everyone in Utah is related, you know, uh, by some uh, metric. If you've been on the family search app, you know what I'm talking about. I think my wife and I are like 13th cousins. Um, so uh, I'm related to Abraham Lincoln. So should yeah. I, I need all those accolades. Well, and you're pretty tall and a little lengthy, <laughs> but uh, Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, let, let's be honest, it's it's a closer relationship than you and Abraham Lincoln, but uh, I, I don't think that that, you know, anybody who's going to use that as a reason to vote against Celeste probably were, was, our, you know, we're already planning to vote against her anyway. Uh, but, you know, it, it is it is interesting. And, you know, I don't even know, um, I don't think I know any of my second cousins. I don't know if you do, but I couldn't I couldn't name a single second cousin of mine. So I, I think that anyone thinks that Celeste is going to be taking her marching orders from Ammon Bundy is 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 just simply mistaken. Well, it's weird. And obviously, that's what they were trying to accomplish with this is to draw the connection and then say Southern Poverty Law Center says that they're, you know, evil and extreme. Yeah. And you're like, why don't you just ask her what she believes? You know, she's a candidate. She's been talking about it for a year. Like, why don't we just ask her? What does it have to do with the with the Bundys at all? All right, Todd, the city of Ogden is about to elect a new mayor. Can you tell us a little bit about what's different or what's going on in this race? Well, so first of all, this will be the first. I, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't track Ogden, Ogden city politics as closely as you might think I do. But I, I did read that this will be the first like uh, open race for mayor in like a decade. So I think that's something. Second of all, I mean, Ogden used to be the second largest city in Utah. I think now it's like the eighth or ninth. 
Um, but, you know, Ogden is a very historic city and, you know, it's very important to people in Ogden and the people in Weber County, but they, they have an interesting race that's shaped up between Taylor Knuth, I, I hope I'm saying that right, and Ben Nadolsky. Uh, ben Nadolsky is on is a is a um, current member of the Ogden City Council, running for mayor. And um, what I think is interesting about this race is it kind of hit the the news wires this uh, earlier this week uh, or last week, I should say, when um, Ben uh, pulled out of a debate. Now these guys are debating a lot, like they debated before this debate, and they've already debated since. But there was a debate scheduled for last Tuesday or Wednesday night, and it was hosted by Alliance for a Better Utah, or ABU. If you're not familiar with Alliance for a Better Utah, um, a more um, appropriate name for that organization would be Alliance for a Liberal Utah. Um, They are in every way an extension of the Utah Democratic Party, and that's fine. I mean, just, just be honest about who you are. Um, you know, they are uh, kind of, I mean, just, I'm just picking on Eagle Forum, but they're, they're kind of to the left, but like the Utah Eagle Forum is to the right. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're not unbiased. They're not nonpartisan. I mean, they might claim to be nonpartisan, but they've never done a nonpartisan thing. They put out a hit, uh, a hit fundraiser mailer uh, featuring me um, a month or two ago, acting like I was uh, the single person responsible for uh, taking abortion rights away from women in Utah, and they like used my face, and yeah, yeah. I, I, and every other Republican voted for that <laughs> law bill, but I didn't run the, I didn't sponsor the bill, I didn't co-sponsor the bill. I, I mean, they just used me, I guess, to 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 raise some money from some of their liberal donors. But enough about ABU. So the uh, the debate was sponsored by ABU, and ABU originally there was going to be like a neutral moderator from the University of Utah a group that they have that does debates and they pulled out for some unknown reason. And so it was announced that the moderator moderator would be this guy who is the former uh, chair of the Utah Democratic Party. So he's the, the neutral debate uh, you know, moderator. And what I failed to mention is that Taylor uh, Knuth has been endorsed by the Utah Democratic Party, also endorsed by Equality Utah, which is an LGBT advocacy group. And so, I mean, Taylor is clearly the choice of the progressive left, if you will. And then the debate moderator, who's, you know, not at all neutral. Nice guy, actually. I'm not going to use his name, but, you know, clearly ties with ABU and and um, and the Utah Democratic Party. So, you know, I think Ben's campaign asked for, you know, a neutral moderator and they said, no, take it or leave it. So. So he walks so that they tried to make Ben look bad by not participating in this one debate when there's like, I don't know, five, seven or nine other debates. Wow. But th- that news media, I think, just let the electorate, ele- electorate know that even though this is a nonpartisan race, like all mayors and city council races, I think even Salt Lake is technically nonpartisan, um, that, that this guy is clearly running as a Democrat. I, I think Ben would be the Republican in that. Uh, in, in that race. And so it'll be interesting to see what what fallout that has. And I just want to say, Corey, I mean, this year, and I, I've seen these texts, people have shown them to me, um, the Utah Democratic Party routinely sends out texts soliciting candidates to run for mayor and city council all over the state, because they know if they can get a Democrat uh, elected to a city council and kind of get a foothold, get some name recognition, it's easier for them to jump to county commissioner or to state legislature. I've never seen the Republican Party actively recruit for nonpartisan races like this. It may have happened in some circumstances. I'm not going to say it's never happened, but it seems like the last 
I don't know, five or more election cycles, the Democratic Party is actively soliciting. They're texting tens of thousands of people saying, hey, we're looking for someone in your city to run for city council. You know, we'll help you, you know, uh, call us and blah, 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 blah. And so it, it is interesting when these nonpartisan races get influenced by, you know, partisan political politics. Yeah, that's good insight. And that's been a conversation among Utah County Republicans is whether to get involved because it's, it's, it's clearly the case that you have um, people who are much more left of center who are, who are, I guess, getting on, on city councils. Although, I mean, it is a little bit different because sometimes you're like, well, what is the liberal or, or conservative way to grow or something like that? But, um, but there are other issues and you mentioned equality Utah. I think they're, they're, they've more than just endorsed Taylor Knuth. I mean, he's on their front page. I went to their website and, um, and they're going to do a day of, of, yeah, they're uh, knocking for him. Canvassing for him and so yeah. forth. I, I want to share a little bit because as a candidate, I got these questions. If you want to get, if you want to be endorsed by Equality Utah, they they have very distinct questions that they're asking you. And I, you would think, so they're they're an LGBTQ um, advocacy organization. And so you'd think they'd ask questions like, you know, do you support a non-discriminatory environment? Of course I would. You know, are you good with gay and lesbian coworkers? Yes, that's totally fine. Would you not hire someone because they're gay? No, that's not a good reason or whatever. Does it matter to you if someone is gay? No, it doesn't. But those are not the questions they're asking. They're asking, would you advocate for citywide DEI training? Would you support city-hosted pride events? Do you support providing gender-affirming care to transgender city employees? In other words, sex change surgeries for city employees. Do you support gender-neutral pronouns for city forms and city documents? So it's just really interesting, these, uh, these organizations, especially that are supposed to be, you know, not, um, they're uh, nonprofits. You get a good sense for who their donors must be based on where their focus is. And a focus on just advocating for, for gay and lesbian employees and non-discrimination, I think, is such common sense. But these things go so much farther. And so Taylor Knuth obviously is saying yes, if he's getting it to, yes, we want, we need gender neutral pronouns. Yes, we need a, a city funded pride event. And here in Lehigh, we have two candidates that got an A and an A plus rating from, uh, from Equality Utah. And, and I think it's, I think it's worth letting people know, like, this is, this is what they're saying. They're not saying, they're not answering, yes, we won't uh, discriminate against gay and lesbians. I think that's, something almost everyone should agree with the questions they're asking are you know do, do you think that we should make sure that the the city health plan pays for uh, sex change surgeries do you think that we should have gender neutral pronouns in our city documents so i mean it's over the top and i think it's worth noting that that's for these candidates that are getting a and a plus ratings that's what they're saying yes to yeah and and i want to point out you know um I, I don't I don't think any group uh, should be singled out for discrimination and equality Utah, you know, they they did some good work, I think, in the state, making sure that um, the workplace was safe for people who identify as LGBT. And so I, I'm not I, I'm not trying to disparage that organization, but clearly they 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 tend to lean left. <laughs> and and so I only say that because I, I was just pointing out that this has become a very partisan race and. And that particular candidate is is being supported by the the 
liberal and the progressive groups, including the Alliance for Better Utah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the main thing that I want to point out is, is like, these are these are not groups that are just center left. They are they are moving hard in a very hard left direction. I mean, and, and in a way that you wouldn't even I just on the outside, you say quality Utah, like we want to make sure that um, the workplace is safe for gay and lesbians. Yeah, sure. We all agree with that. That's good. I, you know, I'll raise my hand, but that's not what they're going for. They're going for much more. Governor Spencer Cox says he plans to endorse House Speaker Brad Wilson for U.S. Senate to replace Senator Mitt Romney. He's, he says, quote, I know Brad as well as just about anybody in this state, and that's why I feel so confident because I have been able to work with him. I believe he's one of the best speakers we've ever had in the state, the things he's been able to accomplish. He has the most difficult job, politically speaking, in the state of Utah, unquote. So it's not just Governor Cox. We know Greg Hughes stood with him when he announced and Sheriff Mike Smith from Utah County. And basically a supermajority of state legislators, most most are supporting him. Uh, in order to focus on the campaign, uh, Brad Wilson says he'll resign from the Utah legislature on the 15th of November. Todd, who do you see as the top competitor to Brad Wilson at this point? Um, I'm not sure. And I, and I should probably fully disclose, I have also endorsed and donated to Brad Wilson for U.S. Senate. So I, I'm certainly not going to criticize the governor for doing so. I mean, Trent Staggs came out early and kind of made a splash. He's the mayor, I think, of Riverton. He ran for the Salt Lake County Council um, back in 2020, I believe, or 2022. I don't remember. Um, lost that race. Or Salt Lake County mayor, sorry. Lost that race, I think, to Jenny Wilson. So you've got um, you've got a host of people, uh, and I can't remember any of their names. There's the mayor of the small town um bird yeah. roosevelt yeah bird and and i i was shocked that bird donated a million dollars to his own campaign I, I i'm only shocked i just didn't know that um he had a million dollars which is great wow. for him um but um i i i think right now it's uh brad wilson's race to lose now you know i'm hearing names like thomas wright we heard tim ballard i'm 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 not convinced that he still won't file um and you know there's names like jason chaffetz floating around um, so, you know, there, but of the current field, I think Brad Wilson is the clear, um, is the clear favorite in my mind to win and, and likely will win. Uh, I'm not sure who else will jump in. And just to remind everyone, um, we moved up the filing deadline to the first week of January. So we, we will know the answer to this question in less than three months. So. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I was interested to see that John Curtis decided not to because, yeah. I, no, John I Curtis a, would have given Brad a run for his money because he's got. It would have been an interesting race, and, and he has more immunity and and all of that stuff. He he was telling people that he was he was ninety percent in, <laughs> like the moment before he said he was out. So that was interesting, and uh, you know most of the chatter that I've heard about Jason Chaffetz is he's more interested in governor, but would he actually challenge Cox? Seems unlikely at this point, but who knows? But we we coming into this election cycle, we thought it'd be a little bit more interesting as far as like governor and senator. And uh, I know my friend uh, Carolyn Fippen is, I think is very likely to get in. Um, she would, she would be in the same lane as uh, I think Trent Staggs being very competitive at the, at the convention. But at this point with Brad having so many endorsements, he's going to be competitive at the convention as well. So, well, you know, Carolyn Fippen ran for the Utah house um, last year against uh, Jeff Stenquist and, and was widely believed to, was, you know, was in the lead to win that primary. Of course, she ended up 
losing that primary, I think, um, as a surprise to everyone, including Jeff Stinquist. But, you know, before she even before she even lost that primary, I had been told by several sources that she was telling people her next race was against Mitt Romney or for Mitt Romney's seat. And, you know, I I know that, you know, some people, you know, just come out of nowhere and and win a race for you, you know, for, for U.S. Senate. But I think that um, Brad Wilson's done all the right things. Uh, he was actually um, when I was chair of the Davis Com- Chamber of Commerce. A long time ago, Brad Wilson was my vice chair. This was back, I think, in wow. 2007, before either of us were in the legislature. So he's been involved in the community. He's 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 been a champion in the legislature. Obviously, Speaker of the House for the last uh, four years, and um, you know he's and he's he built um, and and sold a very successful business, um, um, Destiny or is it uh, Destination Homes? And so I, I think he's checked all the boxes. And I'm not trying to be flippant or dismissive of, of Carolyn. Pippen, but she actually worked in the House as a staff member in the Utah House a couple of years ago. So she was actually kind of an employee of Brett Wilson's, you know, w- within the past five years. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. She was very competent. She's a very smart, intelligent woman. I know she's also worked for Mike Lee, um, but I don't see her. I, I think you, when you said she would be competitive with Trump Staggs in the convention, I, I agree because she kind of caters to um, um, a very conservative crowd, but I don't see her giving Right now, I don't see her giving Brad Wilson a run for for his money, uh, although he struggles with name ID. His name ID is certain, certainly higher than Carolyn Pippins. That is the one interesting thing about the House Speaker for Utah. I mean, we know that this, the Speaker has is probably in terms of like legislation and and policy in the state might be the most powerful you know person in the state. Um, but yet, I mean, the governor obviously has name recognition, and the Speaker usually does not. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, and I'm not saying this to criticize Brad because I really respect Brad, and and I don't say that lightly. He is he is um, just really a, a stand up, smart, um, compassionate, sincere, intelligent person. But we do have a phenomenon here in Utah, and it goes back decades, where every almost every speaker of the Utah House um, thinks that they're going to be the next governor or the next statewide elected officer. And, you know, Rob Bishop was Speaker of the House before he was in Congress, but there was, I don't know, uh, at least a six-year break there, and, and he had a hard time, um, and he was actually uh, trailing in the primary for a long time to Jake Garn, but I'm sorry, to Kevin Garn, but um, that's a whole nother story. But most of our speakers, um, and I think Becky Lockhart, um, before she died, was clearly gearing up to run against Gary Herbert for governor and Marty Stevens was speaker of the house and he ran for governor and, and Norm Bangader was speaker of the house and he did get elected governor. But in any event, it seems like most of the speakers think that they're going on to moving on to higher office. And more often than that, not that that doesn't happen. I think that Brad Wilson may be the exception to that. And I think that's interesting. And you just said they may be the most powerful person in the legislature. Their power is really equal to that of the Senate president but the Senate president is almost never floating their name or running for higher office. I'm not sure why the dynamics there are different um, because the Senate president, I mean, just his own Senate district would be almost three times larger than the House district. I remember when Marty Stevens was running for president or for governor, and I said to someone, you know, this was 20 years ago, I said, oh, well, he'll probably win because he's Speaker of the House. And someone said to me, he's Speaker of the House. So what? So he's he represents 40,000 people in the legislature. Why does he think the whole state's going to vote for him? And as it turned out, that person was absolutely right, you know. Uh, But in any event, um, you know, I think in politics, uh, money 
um, drives a lot of these decisions. And Brad has some money and he's shown an ability to raise over a million dollars already. Name ID is important, but name ID can be purchased, you know, with TV commercials and mailers. Uh, but name ID is not enough. We we saw Jeff Birmingham in 2020. I think he spent like three or four million dollars and and didn't even get out of convention. And so money is not enough. Name ID is not enough. Uh, yeah. it, it takes a little bit of a uh, of a of a luck, you know. Celeste Malloy didn't have name ID or money, and yet she's going to be the next yeah. uh, Congress, <laughs> congresswoman from Utah. Yeah, that's really true. But I, I I think you're right that Brad has done a lot of little things right. I mean, he's uh, he's traveled around and been talking to people and. Um, he was in our house here in Lehigh and I think, I thought he did a great job. You know, he's very yeah. good. So, um, yeah. And, and have, having a little bit of money doesn't hurt. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's it. So he sold destination homes to the Larry H. Miller company, I think two years ago. And oh, okay. Yeah. He, 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 he will not have to work another day in his life. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> if he doesn't want to. All right. Well, thanks Corey. We'll see you yeah, next thanks week. Thanks a bunch. See you next week. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.